was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me once more as we come to God's word? Let's pray together. Father, we just pause and still our hearts for a few moments. Lord, in the words that we just read, your words, we read some incredible realities and statements and truths that you reveal to us about not only who you are, but about the power, the significance, the majesty of your word. So Lord, we come now to still our hearts, to open our hearts to receive and to hear your word. That Holy Spirit, through the preaching of your word, that you would take your eternal powerful word and that you would drive it down into the deepest places of our hearts. Would you open the eyes of our hearts that we would see and behold the glory of Jesus, that we might be changed. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Let me start off with a little question, a little introduction question for the, uh, for the young folks here to get us started. You know, one of the fun things about Christmas and the Christmas season is all these different traditions, but one of my favorite is Christmas movies. Uh, kids, do y'all like any Christmas movies? Any Christmas movies y'all like? What are y'all's favorite Christmas movies? Drew? Elf? That's a good one. Nice. That's a great one. A Christmas Story? That's a good one. The Grinch? Home Alone? Those are classics. Luke? A Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, yeah, all right. We'll go with that. Gray? Home Alone 2? 
What, what, when? The Christmas Project. Okay, all right. You know, one of my, Bo, what you got? You think of one? Santa Claus. Okay, that's a good one. You know, one of my favorite, I love a Christmas story, but it, it might be Christmas Vacation. That's one of my favorite. It's like, it's like a tradition. I got to watch it at least once during the season. It's one of the fun things about Christmas, isn't it? There's something about the season of Christmas. Uh, the word magic is used a lot, the magic of this season. Uh, for many of us, the nostalgia of, of, of home, of childhood is associated with it. Uh, for many of us, there's, there's great memories. It's, it's, there's so many traditions involved in Christmas you know, there's the decorations, and there's the tree, and, and uh, there's the lights. I don't know if anybody goes a little Clark Griswold and puts lights all over everything. Our neighbors have got that going on right now. You know, there, there's so many traditions, and of course then there's the presents. That magic of Christmas morning, when you run into the, you run into the living room and the, Christmas are, uh, the, the presents are around the tree... There's so many things about this season that are so exciting and so nostalgic. But here's one of the realities that we, we easily don't recognize. There is a battle, a war that has taken place every Christmas season. It's subtle. It's a subtle battle, and the battle has taken place in our hearts. And here's what the battle is between. The battle is between what story will capture my heart. What Christmas story is really going to grab my heart? What, what glory is really going to command my affections this Advent? Is it the story? Is it the story of the jolly old guy with a white beard riding on a sleigh? Is it the joy of the presence, getting the perfect presence? Is it the joy of the, the jingle bells and the decoration, all that stuff? Or is it the story of God becoming a man to rescue us? Which story is going to grab our hearts? Which one are we going to live for? Which one's going to command our affections? That's really the battle that's taking place. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with all of those great things, the, the the great holiday songs and the decorations and the parties, those things are wonderful and good. What I am saying is that there is a battle for what will command the affections of your heart. Really, that's the battle every day of our life, not just in Advent. What is my heart going to attach to? What is it going to see as ultimate glory? What am I going to live for? What story am I ultimately in? That's the fundamental reality for every single one of us. So our Advent series, I'm calling Adore Him. And we're just going to look at the passage of 1 John that we just read for the entire Advent series. And here's going to be our goal. Just week in and week out, I want to challenge you even to take this out of Sunday morning into your homes, into your everyday, adore Him. Center on Christ. Make this Advent a time where the story of Jesus and His beauty and His glory is more commanding of your affections, more grabbing of your heart 
than all of the other things that we tend to get so excited about this season. We're seeking week in and week out to adore and behold the glory of Jesus because Christmas is about Jesus. That is the story of Christmas. And we got to make sure it's ultimate in our hearts. So in our passage today, we are going to behold the glory of Jesus. What I'm going to try to do in this passage, and this is one of those passages, it's like, it's like making your way into a mountain range of glory. And it's, it's a little bit overwhelming as I was just preparing for this sermon because I'm like, gosh, there is so much in here. And there's so much in here that goes beyond what I'm even able to, I feel like, to put into words. But what I want to lead us to do here is just to see the glory of Jesus, behold it with our hearts, and worship Him. That's our goal in our passage today. So as we jump into this passage, if you're familiar with this, this is a very uh, famous and important passage. This is the, the prologue, the, the intro into the book of John. And right here in this, in this section, these 18 verses, John is wanting to set up for us the person of Jesus, which is what his whole gospel is about. It's about seeing Jesus. In fact, he, he writes, I am writing this gospel so that you may come to believe in Christ and in believing you may have life in his name. So John here in the prologue is wanting to set up to set up the picture for us of who Jesus is. But interestingly, he doesn't start with the coming of Jesus. Did you notice that here? He starts in the beginning. Look again at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word. So when you see in the beginning in the Bible, what does that make you think of? Not a rhetorical question. What's that? Creation, Genesis, the very first verse of the Bible begins that way, in the beginning. And so John is wanting to make that unmistakable connection, he's wanting to take you back to creation where he says, in the beginning was the Word. Interesting here. If you think about, if you're familiar at all with the creation story, you know that the way that God went about creating was through His Word. How did God make the whole world? He spoke it into existence. That is significant. That God's word is literally the way that he acts. It's the way that he creates. God just said, let there be light, and then there was light. God said, let there be day and let there be night. God said, let there be man. He spoke creation into existence, and by the power of his word, all things were created. Throughout the whole Bible, we see this this concept of the Word of God that it is powerful. Not only is it powerful, though, it is God's power. It's how He acts. It's also how He reveals Himself. If you think about it, how do we know another person? How do you let someone know you? How do you have a relationship? It's only by speaking. It's only if we choose to speak, it's through our words that we reveal ourselves that another person can know who we are. We see God's word is his self-revelation. It's his way of speaking and revealing who he is. And apart from that, there's no way to know who he is. There's no way to know who God is. God's word is also his very presence. 
We see that a little bit in this very verse here. But we see throughout the scriptures that wherever God's word is, he is. Because it's a part of him. Now, what do we see about the Word that John wants us to see here? In the beginning was the Word. The Word is eternal. The Word was always with God. The Word was with God, he said, and the Word was God. Now, those are two interesting things to put together, right? The Word was with God, which indicates distinct from God, and the Word was God, which indicates identical with God. That's a mystery. Think about it, if I say I'm with someone, it means I'm with another person. We're talking about another person here. If I was to say to you, I went to the store with Hutch, you would say, wait a minute, what are you talking about there? You went with who? No, I would say I went to the store with Ashley. See, it indicates a distinct another person. And that's what he's saying here, the word is a person, but yet is also Identical with God. What does that mean? The very next verse begins to shed a little bit more light. Verse 2. He was with God in the beginning. Now the word gets personified. It's talking about a specific person. As we go on in the passage, we see that he is none other than the person of Jesus. Verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is the person of Jesus. So what is John doing here? He is identifying Jesus with the Word of God. That Jesus is God's Word. God's eternal Word through which uh, He has created all things that has existed for all time. The way in which He reveals Himself. God's Word is Jesus. That just boggles the mind, does it not? We begin to step into a place of incredible mystery as we come into the very trinity itself the trinity is the word that theologians have used to describe who God is that there is one God that is very clear throughout scripture there is only one God but yet that one God has existed for all of eternity in three distinct persons the father the son and the holy spirit all equal in power and glory existing in mutual a relationship and love with one another for all of eternity. So John is inviting us into the mystery of the Trinity in this point. So the question for us as we come into this passage is, what does it mean to say that Jesus is the Word of God? One of my seminary professors, John Frame, he once described God's Word in this way. I think this is a great, just short definition of the Word. If you're taking notes here, This is a great one to write down and just think about this week as we understand God's Word. He says that God's Word is His powerful, authoritative self-expression. There's so much packed in there. That that God's Word is His powerful, authoritative self-expression. So, for John to say that Jesus is the Word means that Jesus is God's powerful, authoritative self-expression. So what does that mean? What does it mean to say that Jesus is God's power? Essentially what he's saying here. Well, Jesus is the one through whom God has created all things. John says that right after the verse that we're looking at here. Look at verse 3. 
Through Him, we're talking about Jesus here. Through Him, all things were made. Without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus was the one through whom God has made all things. Colossians 1.16 says the same thing. All things were created by Him and for Him. Uh, Hebrews 1, which is kind of a... Uh, Hebrews 1 is kind of a mirror passage to John 1. It says, all things were made through Jesus. Just wrap your mind around that for a minute. Just behold the glory of Jesus that all things were made through Jesus. He is the, the powerful agent through which God creates, brings into existence. He's also the one through whom God sustains all things. In, again, in Hebrews 1, verse 2, it says this, that He sustains, Jesus sustains all things through the word of His power. Is that your vision of Jesus? That He is sustaining all things? In this moment, our hearts are beating because of the power and the work of Jesus? The, the planets are orbiting around the sun because of the power and the work of Jesus in this moment. There is order and not chaos in the universe because of the, the present sustaining power of Jesus. That every atom that forms everything that we can see, is the, the protons and electrons are being held together by the sustaining power of Jesus. Part of what John wants us to see here. He is the Word. The eternal powerful Word that is holding all things together. Creating them and redeeming them. So to say Jesus is the Word is to say He is the very power and action of God in all things. But it's also to say that Jesus is the fullness of God's self-expression. Of how He reveals Himself. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 says this. Let me turn over there. The Son, this is verse 3. The Son, listen to this, this description of Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. That Jesus is the fullest expression of who God is. That when you see Jesus, you are seeing the fullness of the glory of God. Everything to know about God, you can behold in the person of Jesus. And in Jesus, God is fully present and fully expressed and fully known. Part of what he intends to indicate through this, the exact representation of his being. The question here is, is that your view of the glory of Jesus? What I've just described. Because when John says that Jesus is the very Word of God, that's just a a little taste of all that he intends to communicate by that. Is that your, your heart's view of Jesus? I think oftentimes we can think of Jesus in a more truncated way of of meek and mild, gentle Jesus, or or to think merely of his being a man or merely of his work on the cross, which is Wonderful and glorious. But a part of what makes his suffering and his humiliation so breathtaking is when you first behold his glory. The fullness of the glory 
of God, the creator of all things, is the person of Jesus. So the question is, how is this connected to Christmas? How is this the centerpiece of what we celebrate and worship at Christmas? It's because of this, verse 14, the glory of His incarnation. Look at verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. That's kind of the, the anchor verse in the whole prologue here. It's the, it's the John dropping the mic kind of moment. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. When he says that, he means to load all that meaning, all that the Bible teaches us about the Word of God and the very glory of God into that statement. The theologians have called this incarnation, which literally means in the flesh. And literally for all of church history, theologians had just wrestled with the mystery of this. Of the eternal creator God becoming a human being. I mean, this is kind of, you know, if you're in the Bible Belt and you're you're familiar with this, this story and this truth. You know, we grow up in the Bible Belt hearing this and hearing at least faintly that Christmas is about this. And it becomes commonplace to us. But here's what I want to ask you to do here. Let your heart marvel at that reality. That the eternal, unchangeable Creator God, the one that made billions upon billions of stars and billions upon billions of galaxies became a human being. Frederick Beekner once said this, the Creator God comes to us in diapers. It's a shocker. What? How? The, the one who made all things would become a little infant. So vulnerable. Think about this. The, the, the infant that is in Mary's arms is the same person that created her and is in some way sustaining the beating of her heart in that moment. You know, the more that we ponder the significance of the incarnation, God becoming a man, the more that it does, if you've ever seen those commercials where like the head blows off, that's what ought to be happening in us as we ponder the incarnation. Just, what? It's insane to even imagine. And even, even, even astounding in the, when you consider God's glory and yet His humiliation in coming all the way down into becoming a man. Listen to the words of Frederick Beekner here. One of my favorite quotes on the significance of the incarnation. He says this, The Word became flesh. Ultimate mystery. Born with a skull you could crush one-handed. Just marvel at the vulnerability of a little baby. I've got a little infant baby. Little May. And I'm just, sometimes I'm almost just afraid to hold her. She's so fragile. Ultimate mystery became an infant whose head you could crush with one hand. Incarnation, it is not tame, it is not beautiful, it is uninhabitable terror. It is unthinkable darkness riven with unbearable light. 
Agonizing labor led to it. Vast upheavals of intergalactic space. Time split apart. A wrenching and tearing of the very sinews of reality itself. How can it be? Literally, it turns upside down everything that we can imagine about reality itself. You can only cover your eyes and shudder before it. Before this, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, who for us and for our salvation, as the Nicene Creed puts it, thousand years ago, came down from heaven. Came down. Only then do we dare uncover our eyes and see what we can see. It is the resurrection and the life she holds in her arms. It is the bitterness of death he takes at her breast. Gosh, does that grab your heart? Does it just marvel you? You know what it makes me ask? Why? Why would he do this? That's what we got to ask. Why would you, Creator God, above all things, do such a ludicrous thing? Two reasons. One, rescue. It's for us. As we talk about Christmas, Christmas is about rescue. It's a rescue mission. It is the only way that broken sinners, rebels, Enemies of God like me and like you can be reconciled to a holy God. It is the only way. God had no other choice. The only way for Him to reconcile us to Himself is to become one of us in every way. To step into our shoes. To become fully a human being in every way. To live the perfect life we have not lived. Not even close. But yet every moment of his life, he was perfectly obedient to the Father. Every way. His words were always words of truth and grace. Very unlike our words. He kept the law at every moment in his life perfectly. His heart was devoted to God and devoted to his neighbor in every way. All things that we have completely failed to do in our life. Why did he do this? In our place. And then on the cross, He would fully bear our sin. The guilt of our sin, all of our shame. He would take the wrath, the wrath of God that is meant for our sin upon Himself in that moment so that we might be rescued. Christmas is about rescue. Why would He, why would he, become, why would he do this? Why this humiliation? It's rescue. But it's also so that He may be known. So that He may be known. So that we may know God. Look at verse 18 again. No one has ever seen God. But God, the one and only, speaking of Jesus, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. I love what, again, Hebrews 1 says. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways talking about the Scriptures, talking about the prophets, that God was always communicating to His people. He was always speaking to His people through the Word, through the prophets. But listen to what He says. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. Jesus is the final Word. Whereby God is fully revealing Himself to us. 
so that we may know Him. Do you realize that when you see Jesus, you are seeing the fullness of God? When you behold the glory of Jesus, you are beholding the fullness of all of God's glory because He is the exact representation of His being. He is the radiance of God's glory. When you are seeing Jesus with the eyes of your heart, you are seeing God. When you know Jesus, you are knowing God. Everything that we see about Jesus is revealing who God is to us. And how else can we fully know God? How can a creation know its creator? Well, yes, He can speak to us in so many ways. But think about how God has revealed Himself. By becoming one of us. Someone to be touched. Someone to hold you. Someone to heal you. Someone to walk. Someone like us in our shoes. So that seeing a human being, we would fully know Who God is. You see, the only way to know God is to know Jesus. And if you are beholding Christ, and you are seeing Christ, you are seeing the Father, the fullness of His glory. It's all contained in Him. See, this is why as a church, we are Christ-centered in all that we do. This is why every sermon is about Jesus. Do you ever get to that point in my sermons, you're like, oh, here we go, we're going to Jesus here. Absolutely, and it will happen in perpetuity from here on. Because you cannot understand the Scriptures without understanding Jesus. Because it all points to Jesus. And it's all fulfilled in Jesus. The way that we know the Father is through Jesus. We say as a church that our end goal is to enjoy Jesus. Because listen, when we behold His glory, that is the end. That's the whole point. To fix our hearts upon Him, to see all of God's glory contained in Him, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians, to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. When we lay the eyes of our hearts on the person of Jesus, we are beholding the fullness of God's glory. You know what? That is what changes us. That is the end for which we are created, and it is what transforms us. As we behold His glory, we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. That is our goal as a church. So what do we do with this? What's the application? What's the so what here? I want to challenge you to battle this Advent season, this Christmas, to make it about Jesus. I want to challenge you to center your heart on Jesus, to behold Him. I'm not saying don't go to the parties and don't put up the Christmas lights and don't put presents around the tree. That's great. But in everything you do, I'm asking you to battle that Jesus would be more beautiful and glorious than all of those things. And it takes a battle. To behold Him takes effort, it takes intentionality, it takes focus. That's kind of a hard application, isn't it? I'm telling your application for today is to go behold Jesus. And we're always beholding things. I'm not asking us to do something we don't know how to do. We're made to behold. I was beholding Georgia football yesterday. And then my soul was crushed, okay? And then Jesus said, who's the real glory in your life? And I'm having to preach that to my boys too, because I've done this thing to them. Make them run after these fruitless idols in their life. I've done it to them. 
You see, we know how to behold. We are beholders. We're always beholders. It's what advertisers know. They're always selling us stuff because they know we love to behold. What I'm asking you to do is to behold Jesus more than anything else because he is far more glorious, far more glorious. So how do we behold? God has given us these very ordinary things called the means of grace. They're they're like avenues and channels by which we behold him. It's the word, it is prayer, it is fellowship together, and it is the sacraments. It's very simple. So with the word, I want to challenge you to, be, to behold Jesus in the Word this Advent season. Here's a very practical way to do this. I want us as a church to memorize John 1, 1 through 18. It's 18 verses. You break it up into small little pieces. And with memorizing, you've got to practice. Do it together as a family. But that is a way to behold. Because listen, when you are encountering God's Word, what I'm reading here is that we're encountering God. You want to know God? You want to be in God's presence? Be in His Word. That is where He is. It is God. I can't explain that. Just true. I know it by experience. Many of you do too. So memorize John 1, 1 through 18. There's so many good like Advent devotionals out there. I'll send out in the email a couple ideas in that. But behold Him in His Word. Behold Him in prayer. Be with Him. Prayer is being with God. Speak to Him. Ask Him. Ask Him to open the eyes of your heart that you might behold His glory more than presents and cookies and tinsel and lights. Pray for that. Fellowship. Whenever we gather together in worship here, we're beholding Jesus. Try to take time outside of this to be together with other believers. And when you're together, talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. And then finally, the sacraments. And that's what we're going to do now. We're going to come to the Lord's table, which is a sacrament. Now, the reformers called the sacraments visible words. I love that description. Visible words. This is God's word here. Everything that we said about God's word is true about right here. And yet, he brings this word to us in bread and wine. And somehow, mysteriously, through the presence of His Spirit, Jesus feeds us in this place. What do you like whenever it's Communion Sunday? Do you come like, yes! Or do you come like, ah, I don't feel worthy to come for this. See, the the Lord's table is not about being worthy. And it's not about you doing anything. It's about Him doing something to you. We come to this table to be fed, to be fed Jesus at this table. That's what's happening here. So I encourage you to do that, to come here and just, just come eat Jesus. That's what we're doing today. We're eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That's what he says in the book of John. I'm not going to try to explain that. I don't think we should. But it's happening. As we come to his table, let's begin through a prayer of confession, which prepares our heart for grace. You can't come to this table just nonchalantly. You've got to come to the table hungry. The only way to come hungry is to realize your deep need of grace. If you don't realize your need of grace, you shouldn't come to this table. But if you this morning feel a deep sense of brokenness, this table is for you. If you're someone who is looking to Christ, 
for forgiveness and life. So let's pray this prayer of confession. I just want to encourage you, make this your prayer. This is not just words to say. This is our prayer where we are confessing our sin in need of grace to the Lord. So if we could pull that up and we'll pray together. Here we go. Let's pray together. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us change what we are, and direct what we shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. Now take a few moments to confess silently your sin to the Lord. Father, we do confess that we are those who have gone astray, who have gone our own way, who have run after the fading glory of temporary things above you who are the glory and the life. Lord, we have confessed that we have not loved you and we have not loved our neighbor. And so we confess our sins to you and ask for your overflowing, pardoning grace in the person of Jesus, would you cover us with it this morning? In Christ's name we pray, amen. Now hear this assurance of pardon from God's word. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in His blood. A few, just a few instructions the way that we do communion. If you're new here, we come forward and kneel at the kneelers here. Uh, if you are a follower of Jesus who has been baptized and who is looking to Christ, Christ alone for salvation, then you are welcome invited to this table. If you are not a follower of Jesus or you're unsure of where you are with the Lord, Scripture is very clear that you should not come. It would be to be going through a ritual that doesn't mean anything. And Scripture actually said it's, it's incredibly spiritually dangerous to do that. So I encourage you not to take communion, but rather to consider taking the real thing. Christ can be yours today. I would love to talk about that after the service. So as you come forward, if you wish not to take communion for any reason, just put your, your hands down. That will indicate you don't want to be served bread and wine. We will just pray for you. Uh, we would love for you to do that, or you may remain seated and just uh, consider what the picture of Jesus that we've seen in the passage and consider the worship songs that we'll sing. Uh, you're not in the wrong place. We're glad you're here. Don't, don't feel embarrassed if you feel you should not take communion today. Don't, don't feel out of place as if everybody's going to see you. Okay?
On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat from it, all of you. And in like manner, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for the remission of your sins. Take and drink from it, all of you. For as often as we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we proclaim and show forth the Lord's death until he comes. So followers of Jesus, I invite you to come and feast upon Christ by faith at his table.